message, right? You don't realize what you don't see until Jesus makes it clear, right? And so all object representation right here. So guys, it's good to be with you today. And uh, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it is a great Sunday to be together. If you here, were here with us uh, last Sunday, I hope you enjoyed our Back to Church Sunday uh, celebration. And if you're um, looking for food outside again, there won't be any. Okay, so I'm just saying, not this week. But you are welcome to go together and have lunch together and fellowship with one another. What we're going to do, however, is we're going to continue the series that we've been a part of, and um, we're going to continue to work through that. And We've been doing a series called Back to Church 2019. Back to Church 2019, and it's um, a good tradition that we have. There's something called National Back to Church Sunday that we celebrate with the rest of the churches, not only here in Chicago, but nationally. It's actually a day. And then, uh, I mean, really, you can make a day of anything, but like we called National Back to Church Sunday, and the rest of the time, we're trying to really understand the importance of really church and church involvement in the city. Now, last week, what we talked about was why God loves his church. Today, we're going to, as we prepare for the ministry team fair, we're going to talk about building his church and why God, uh, the purpose uh, that God actually has in his church. And then next week, what we're going to talk about is unity with diversity within his church. Okay? That's where we're going to end. And so today, we're going to talk about his purpose. And then next week, we're going to talk about unity with diversity. Because as you can see around you, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different life experiences. We all have different presuppositions that we come to church with. But how do we navigate through them? Okay? So today... We're talking about building his church, and that's the title of the message today. So if you're taking notes, what we're going to talk about is the purpose of the church in three forms. Number one, we're going to talk about coming to church to battle, and that does not mean battle with one another. Um, Number two, becoming active, and number three, building. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us today. God, we thank you for your word that teaches us, instructs us, even at times rebukes and corrects us so that we can know you as you are, love you appropriately, and serve you continuously. God, we're asking that today as we open your word together, that you would help us to come to Jesus afresh. God, that regardless of where we came in or how we came in, that God, we might see you clearly. We might see your purposes clearly. And that God, as you change our heart, you might help us to walk with you intentionally. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today what we're doing is we're starting off talking about the battle. And if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. Psalm 68, verses 1 through 10. It's a psalm of King David, who was a king of Israel, the second king of Israel. He was known as a man after God's own heart. And he said this, God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Anybody full of joy in here? Good. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. And that's powerful, right? Even in the dry places, the dry seasons of life, he's riding through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. 
father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. So we look at this and we see that King David was a man who was the second king of Israel and he was known as a man after God's own heart. He was one of the recipients of the promises of God after the Israelites came out of Egypt. Several generations had passed. And even as we went through the series in Joshua talking about the Israelites going into modern day Israel to take the promised land, David was a recipient of that. He was part of the tribe of Judah. He had a family who settled in the land. And um, based on God's calling, his anointing, and his appointment, he became king. But how many people know that in the midst of God's calling, it doesn't mean that you're called without a battle that goes along with the calling? Anybody realize that? A lot of times you feel like God's called you to something and that it should be easy street. If God called me to be a family man, then it should be easy to be a husband or it should be easy to be a father. or It should be easy to um, basically have good relationships in the family unit. Or if he's called me to be in a particular industry, it should be easy to excel. It should be easy to go forward in the things of God. It should be easy to be promoted and go on and be exalted to be, according to the promise, of God, the head and not the tail, and top it never at the bottom, to lend to many nations and borrow from none. But with all the promises of God, we know that they also come with a fight. And anything that God promises you, he says, you are going to take a hold of it by faith in his promises, but also with a fight. And David understood that in the battles that he had to experience. But what we have to understand is that God places you in his church to fight battles, both external and internal. God places you in his church to fight battles, both external and internal. In terms of the external battles that we have to face, we know that King David was constantly met with warfare. The surrounding nations that were going on around him, you constantly hear in David's time in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles about the nations that surrounded and continually attacked Israel, right? You hear about the Philistines, the Hittites, the Nivites, the Perizzites, right? All of these different ites that came against the Israelites to try to drive them out of the promise and the inheritance that God had for them. And David, he did not ever start his, his walk with God or his taking of the promises of God with a solo or a solitary mentality, but instead he knew that he was part of the people of God to accomplish the purposes of God. And in the external battles, we know that he sort of rose to prominence in Israel by fighting a big man, the big man on campus named Goliath, right? And he took Goliath out, and in the midst of him taking Goliath out, Israel was rallied against the Philistines who were oppressing them and mocking them. But how many people know that even after David slew Goliath, David didn't take out the Philistines, the entire army of the Philistines on his own? 
What happened was God anointed him to take out Goliath, and then it emboldened the hearts of the rest of the Israelites to go and fight the external battles that they had in front of them. In the same way, God has called us in his church to fight the external battles for his kingdom, meaning to, in love, minister the good news of the gospel, to see people freed from demonic oppression, to see people freed from sin and the power of Satan, to actually see people come into the knowledge of God and the light of the truth that's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we do that as a people. The problem is, is that in the midst of fighting the external battles, we also find that we have internal battles to go along the way, right? We want to do what's right. We want to extend his kingdom, but there's a war going on in our own souls. And I think that oftentimes it's not necessarily the battles when we're in trials that actually take us out. It's the battles that we face in good times that can be the snares to our souls. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? It's sort of like if you've ever walked, if you've walked with God for any period of time, eventually you learn how to overcome the sin that you were initially bound with whenever you didn't know him. But over the course of time, as you forget that it's not just about the drunkenness you've turned away from, it's not just about the sexual immorality that you've turned away from, but then there are new battles, new battles of attitude, new battles of mentalities, new battles of faithfulness, new battles of what am I going to do when nobody else is looking and I'm in surrounded by a people who don't know the Lord, who will I stand for then? Those are the internal battles that you begin to experience. And after becoming successful, it is, it is a challenge not to be overcome by the internal battles that nobody sees. It's a challenge not to be overcome by those secret sins that nobody would know about if they were just to look at you. Because you're smiling, you're showing up, you're going through the motions, but they're internal battles that are looking to take you out. And after becoming successful, a victorious king, David needed what? The people of God. He needed the church to not only overcome his external battles, but his internal battles as well. We see that after he became successful, he had to deal with things like lust. He had to deal with things like adultery. He had to deal with things like deception and ultimately murder. Anybody remember the story of King David and Bathsheba? right? It's sort of like David was winning plenty of external battles in the world around him, but he needed literally the people of God, the church of God to help him come out of the internal battles that he was still experiencing, right? And it was when David let down his guard, when he was not going into the fight, when he was just chilling, right? When he was just relaxing, when he had said, I'm going to rest on my laurels and enjoy all of the success that has come to me, that eventually the enemy caught him, that eventually the enemy got him. And it was only through the prophet Nathan that he was able to come to repentance from his sin. If you remember anything about the uh, story of Bathsheba, David had said that in the spring, when the kings go off to war, When the kings are usually at the fight, when they're doing battle, fighting things externally, David sent his armies out, but he stayed back in the palace. And while he was back in the palace, he started to look at things he shouldn't have been looking at. He started to put his eyes on people and things that he shouldn't have. And he saw across the way a woman, a beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing. And then he said, boy, she's mighty fine. 
and why don't, why don't I call her to be mine, right? He's like, I'm the king. Why not use the benefits of the king, right? And even though Bathsheba at the time was married, he called her to himself and he actually committed adultery with her, but didn't just commit adultery with her, tried to cover it up in the midst of his prosperity, right? It wasn't during the bad times when David was on the run. Remember, because he needed also during the times of his ascension to the kingship, the church, the son of um, Saul named Jonathan, who helped literally save his life from his murderous father. But in the time of his success, he needed somebody who would come and approach him and call him out of the internal things that he wasn't willing to admit himself. And sometimes we need in the church somebody who will look us in the eye and actually ask us, how's it going? How you doing? How you doing? Because has anybody ever been in a place before where things weren't quite right, but you just didn't have the strength to admit it? Anybody before been in a place like that? You knew things weren't right in terms of your righteousness. You knew things weren't right in the things that you were looking at, like King David. You knew that things weren't quite right in your relationships, but you needed somebody like Nathan who would come and tell you, listen, you can come out of this. You can come out of this and actually win the battles that you have going on internally as well. What people don't see, there's a good chart. Whenever we look at a successful man or a woman of God, a lot of times they only see this. Anybody ever seen this image before? Okay. It's like a chart that people use for leadership quote, um, 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 coaching and things like that. People are always looking at people whenever they're on top, right? They're first, second, and third place. They're looking at all the accomplishments that they have in life and in God. But what they don't see is that all that goes on to get to that place, right? They don't see that to actually get to a place of accomplishment, you need desire, passion, focus, effort, training. How about this? Failure. Anybody ever failed on the way to success? You have some failures that you learn from. Hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. Early mornings. Anybody have early mornings in here? Right? Come on, working people in Chicago. And not just early mornings, but late nights. Anybody have late nights? I'm not talking about late nights at the club. I'm talking about late nights actually doing something productive. Okay? Late nights. Improvement, patience, sacrifice, feedback, fear, and innovation. All of these things are the building blocks to actually seeing somebody who's doing well in God actually living it out in the public eye. But what we don't see a lot of times is also the people in our lives whose shoulders that we're standing on to actually be in the place that we are. Whose shoulders are you standing on to overcome not only your external battles, but also your internal battles? I could name quite a few throughout my lifetime. Quite a few. Many of you are in here. It's sort of like I am encouraged, I am equipped, and I stand strong even in my internal battles because of the shoulders of men and women that I stand on. Who is that for you? God has given you the church not only to win your external battles, but your internal battles. If you had any parents who encouraged you to do something or be something in this life, what did they often say to you? At least my parents said this all the time to me. They said, Roland, I want our ceiling to become what? Your floor, right? I want your ce- How many parents ever told their kids that? Or you actually heard that from your parents. I want you, my ceiling to become your floor. In the same way in the church, if somebody's going to be a disciple and work in the things of God, you've got to stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before you. 
You've got to be able to receive encouragement, instruction, correction, rebuke at times from the people who God has placed in your life to promote you to a place of well-being in him. Now, in a city like Chicago, we deal ultimately not just with the sins that beset us, that surround us in our culture, but ultimately, as A.W. Tozer said many years ago, he said the, uh, the Christian's greatest enemy is not necessarily sin, but it's discouragement. It's discouragement. Anybody ever want to do what's right in God before, but actually received some discouragement along the way? Well, this is why he says that God has placed his people around you in the church to be the community that helps you overcome that enemy and press forward. There was a woman named Dr. Karen, um, <clears throat> Caroline Leaf in Think, Learn, and Succeed who said this medically about the importance of community. She said, whether we like having alone time or not, can I, can I hear an amen from all the introverts in here? Okay, whether we like having alone time or not, right? You're like, I I see people because I have to. Well, that's fine. This is for you, okay? Whether we like having alone time or not, we all need community. In fact, engaging positively with people in our social support network correlates with a number of desirable outcomes. Community involvement can be associated with mental health, and cognitive resilience, reduction in chronic pain, lower blood pressure. You might think that's the opposite, right? I'm just so bothered by the people around me, my blood rises. But no, it's actually medically proven that community involvement leads to lower blood pressure and improved cardiovascular health. Isolation, on the other hand, can negatively affect our well-being. That's medically proven today. You know, medical um, mental wellness is, a, is now a buzzword. It's always been an issue that's needed to be dealt with, but it's a buzzword now. And God is literally saying that what, what I do is I put the isolated, I put the solitary, according to that psalm, in a home. Or if you look in another translation, he says, I put the lonely, many people are lonely in this city, and that's not a condemning thing. That's a fact. That's a reality of life that people have to deal with. He says, I put the lonely in families. But he says, the rebellious live in a parched land. Did you hear him say that in the scripture? He says, I put the solitary in a home, but the rebellious live in a parched land. What's he talking about? He's talking about what the doctor was just talking about, that whenever you're surrounded by the people of God who you connect with and you can actually grow with and share life with, not just check in with on a Sunday morning, but actually share life with, what happens is that you come into the refreshing blessing of God rather than the parched land where you're continually sucking for air, actually just like literally living on fumes, relational fumes, relational fumes where you're like, who loves me? Who's got my back? And who's there to encourage me in the things that I know that God has for me? God says, I've given you my church to be the answer to that. Put yourself in the family, put yourself in the community of God, and you'll experience the same well-being to overcome your both external and internal battles. But when you do that, you've got to also understand that you need to become active. With the proliferation and ubiquitous nature of social media, we feel like we're continually connected, right? But it's a deception. 
It's sort of like it's, it's interesting that sociologically people are saying that with the rise of social media, people are continually interacting with one another, but without what we talked about in the previous weeks, the ministry of presence, they still feel the loneliness that they thought social media would help them overcome. It's the ministry of presence, sharing life with the church that actually enables you to do that. When you become active, God places you in his church to get active, to remain spiritually, mentally, and emotionally healthy. That is the truth of the matter. And one of the reasons that, as I said, David fell into sin is because of the fact that he was disconnected from the very men he had grown up with, fighting with. You see, David was on the run from Saul for a period of time, who was the previous king, but he was on the run, not on his own. He was on the run with some men. He was on the run with other men who was, the Bible calls the mighty men of God. And though these men started off in distress, discontent, and grumbling, it said they were raised up into mighty warriors who helped King David extend his kingdom all across the land. And whenever he was connected to them, it said that he grew more and more powerful. That sounds like something that's attractive, right? Growing more and more powerful, right? God takes us from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory when we're doing things his way. Isn't that the truth? Even in the midst of challenge, he's saying, I'm strengthening you. But it's not when you're in isolation. It's when you're connected to the very people I've given you to fight with. And it's not just on a Sunday morning. It is not just on a Sunday morning. We are glad you are here to worship with us, but you have got to share life with people. You've got to open up yourself and actually have people who know you, know what's going on with you, know the struggles, know that you're not perfect. You're like, me? Yes. (laughs) Me too. Not perfect. And proud of it, right? Because I have grace that I'm living by. Grace that covers me. Grace in the Lord Jesus Christ that washes over all my sin. But I think Kermit the Frog said it best. Look at this. He said it's hard to stay in shape spiritually if your only workout day is on Sundays. Who wants to look like Kermit? (laughs) Right? Nobody. Here's the thing. He's cute, but he's out of shape. (laughs) Speaks funny. Acts funny. He's a pushover, right? Miss Piggy always running over him. Here's the thing. In the same way, in the same way, we will not have the strength that God has chosen to give us if we disconnect Monday through Saturday. Part of why we're doing this study, even in our community groups right now, which if you haven't seen the book or you haven't been to one of our community groups, it's actually called Church Community. The reason we're doing that is to give people an understanding of how to live a shared life together. How is the church supposed to function? And when you do, God puts you in that community, not only to win your battles, but to get active. Part of why we're having our ministry fair, ministry team fair after church today is so that you can get active. But active unto what? Active unto what? Is it just going to play whirly ball in the city? Anybody ever played whirly ball? Anybody know what whirly ball is? Have you driven many times and said, what are they doing in there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. 
It's not just that, but it's to be about kingdom purposes. And what he's talking about is not just getting active, but coming to a place where you're being a builder. You know, when Paul talked about himself, he said, listen, I'm a wise master builder. I'm a co-laborer with Christ. And part of how I stay in shape spiritually, part of how I continue to grow spiritually is by building the kingdom of God along with God and his people, building it actively. And God places you in his church to become a disciple. Everybody say disciple. See, a disciple is somebody who literally patterns their thoughts, their speech, their actions, their trajectory in life after the one who's teaching. And whenever Jesus went out and he said to go and preach this gospel, he didn't say just to preach so that people can learn. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. Not just hear, but obey meaning their lifestyle and their practice and what they do with their time, talent, and resources modeled directly after Jesus' teachings. He says, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then surely I'm with you always until the very end of the age, right? A lot of times people are wondering, why don't I feel God? Anybody ever asked that before? Why don't I feel the presence of God? I'm out here and I believe, but I feel so alone, so dry. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus said, whoever follows me, right? Whoever loves me must follow me. And where I am, where I am, there also my servant will be. Wherever I am, there my servant will be. A lot of times we invert that, right? We say, wherever I am, that's where God will be too, right? Wherever I want to go, whatever I want to do, God's going to bless me. Did he say that? Come on, church, did he say that? Did he say, whatever I want to do, wherever I want to be, when I'm bump bumping and in the club, why isn't God with me? Because he's outside trying to call you out. (laughs) Say, get out of there. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. That's the only thing the Bible says to flee from, right? He says other things you can fight and take your stand, but men, hear me, and not just men, women nowadays too, flee from sexual immorality. How about this? Some of you need to chop off that Tinder app. Why? Not because he don't want you to get a date, but because the mentality is the hookup. Hello? And don't think married people, you're immune from it either. They got apps for you now too. And he says you've got to come out to be about his business, be where he is, and be a disciple who will work in his field and build for the glory of his eternal kingdom. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. This is where we're going to end together. Matthew chapter 20. You know, Jesus not only described himself, but he often described what the kingdom of God is like. That's what, those were what the parables were about. The parables were similitudes, basically saying, hey, listen, this is how I made the world. This is how it functions. If you want it to go well with you, you got to understand this. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Anybody work in human resources here? Okay. 
Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, right. <laughs> okay. Sort of like he went out to hire. So God is on a mission to hire people. Yes, God is putting out metaphorically, right, things on LinkedIn for the kingdom. He says, he went to hire laborers for his vineyard, and after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, which meant a day's wages, he sent them into his vineyard. He sent them into his vineyard. Now, most people think of Christianity as like, okay, I came to God, and so God is just going, he, he's going to send me into my bedroom and just be with him all day. <laughs> Or he's going to send me to a Christian concert where I can just, you know, wave my phone all day. Talking about glory, glory, hallelujah. But he said, no, if you're with me, I'm hiring you and sending you into my vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for dinner today, he did this, okay? And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And I like how the NIV says it. They said they were standing around doing nothing. Standing around doing nothing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, then you go into the vineyard too. And let me tell you, that is what we're here to do as a church. Call people out of their idle, sinful, worthless living and call them into the life and purposes of God. It doesn't matter if somebody's breathing. They could be still dead in their transgressions and sins. And he calls them out of death into life. Through Jesus Christ. In the same way, people can be plenty busy, plenty busy occupying their time. Being busy bodies is what the scripture calls it. But they're not about kingdom purposes. It means they're standing around idle. And God's saying, come out of these things into the life of God. Let me tell you, good news, people of God, as we've been going out preaching the gospel in the city, calling people out of idleness, calling people out of death and into life, even over the past several weeks, several people have been giving their lives to Jesus. It... Yes, okay, let me show you. Yes, come on, give it up to God. People have been responding to Jesus, coming out of idle living, coming out of worthless living, coming out of slavery to sin, and saying, I'm ready to get baptized. I'm ready to get in the game. I'm ready to go into his vineyard. I won't say who right here, but there are people who even are just getting saved and immediately going to their friends and saying, hey, listen, this purple book I'm doing, I want to show you how to do it too. This Bible that you're teaching me, I want, listen, I've been learning about Jesus. I've been learning about his ways. I've been working in his vineyard. Now I want to show you too. I want to show you how to be set free too. When I got saved, all I wanted to do was share with other people because I knew I was delivered from hell. I knew Jesus by his death, burial, and resurrection made me a new man. And he said, listen, if he did it for me, he can do it for you too. I was in his vineyard. I understood his call. And he calls all of us to do the same. He says hard, part of why we get trapped up in the internal and external battles is because we forget that we've been hired to go into his vineyard and work for him. And we all know that 
Our mama used to tell us that idle hands are the devil's playground. Is that not right? You ever hear that before? Idle hands are the devil's playground. So what's the answer to that? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and get to work. But the beauty of it is, is that it's not just for the spiritual ninjas. It's also for the people who come in at later points in life. See, some of you would like to disqualify yourselves and say, well, I got a late start and I really can't participate in the things that other people do. I see other people have zeal, but <clears throat> that may not be for me. And you disqualify yourself, but let's finish the scripture. I said, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius, which was the day's wage. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. Oh, come on, church. Come on, church. And that's what we say sometimes. I've been faithful. I've been showing up. I've been doing right by God. And then all of a sudden, this like cat comes in talking about, ooh, I'm saved now. And he gets to participate in the same grace as me. And then you hear the, right, the gnashing of the teeth. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generos generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And this is the gospel of God's grace. Is it not? It's God saying, it all belongs to me. And anytime we have the ability to work with him or for him, it's a privilege. It is a privilege. And he said, I called you to myself to this saving grace through the cross. And I'm giving you what I promised you, salvation. A new heart, a new spirit to make you whole, purpose in me, eternal life to boot. And if I choose to give it to one who you used to look down on and give them that same salvation and grace to, don't despise my generosity, but rejoice that it extended to them just as it extended to you. Rejoice that you were actually part of those building blocks to be there working the field so that his generosity could be extended to the others that just like you didn't deserve it. This is the gospel and the good news of the king that we serve in this ministry that we preach. 
it is a privilege to be called God's own. It is a privilege to say, Jesus has purchased me by his own blood at the cost of his own life and by his resurrection from the dead, I can be made new. Amen? So this is encouragement, both for the one who needs to be hired today and come from the outside in, and it's also to be a strengthening for the heart of those who've been so faithful, so faithful. I'll tell you, well done. So many of you, so faithful, so faithful to God, and God doesn't allow that to go unnoticed or, or eternally unrewarded. You hear me? Eternally unrewarded. He's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. But can we have not the patience to wait for the reward on that day and not be discouraged while other people are on the way? Wherever you find yourself today, let's find ourselves with him and in his church, fighting and winning battles because we're with him and his people. We're active, and we're actually builders of his eternal house. Amen? All right, worship team.